uh, as everybody has already said, Happy New Year 2023. Excited to be here. Uh, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege uh, to pastor this church. And I uh, can't even say the word privilege. That's what's <laughs> happening in 2023. Insecure about that as people have uh, brought that out to my attention. Um, but anyway, um, we, we, we are so privileged to be able to be a part of this church and to pastor and to lead. And there's so much happening, exciting things happening uh, even, even in the beginning of this year, and I want to talk a little bit about it, but before I get into that, uh, I've said it to them personally, but I want to take a moment publicly and say thank you to every person that gave up their time over the past two weeks to do all that we did in this renovation process. Um, you know, during that time frame of that Christmas to the beginning of the year is normally a time for people to kind of rest a little bit, chill, and we thought it was smart to do the most we've ever done in two <laughs> weeks during that time. Uh, but so, so much resource, so much time spent, people's energy. Uh, we, a bunch of us were even here last night watching the Kansas City Chiefs game uh, as we were finishing up details, and I just want to say from Darla and I's bottom of our hearts, thank you. Um, and I also want to say thank you to those that give, because while we were doing it physically, we would have never been able to do it if it wasn't for the finances that backed it up. And so those of you that give every week, every month faithfully to this church through tithes and through offerings, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I always try to take a moment and share with you what we're doing globally and outside the church, which I'll do again starting next Sunday. But I just want to take a moment, because every once in a while, we've got to give some love back in the house right? Every once in a while, we got to take care of what's happening in here and provide uh, more excellent, better ministry for you as you come Sunday to worship. And I want to amen Brian for a second on that. Worship was insane. Amen? Amen? Y'all excited about it? I'll call them back up for round two. Y'all keep messing with me. Um, so again, thank you. If, if you're in here and you say, man, I really want to be a part of what God's doing, as the video said, you can do that. You can start tithing, start offering, website uh, as you're walking out, and of course, get connected on your way out. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and do me a favor. Turn to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. As you're turning there and give you a minute to find it, I want to give you a little, little context of what we're doing. Every year, I ask the Lord to kind of give us a word to kind of shape where we're going for the year. Uh, a lot of the people that were here would, in 2020, uh, you remember that word for that year was shift. Y'all remember that? And uh, I think we shifted that year. If you remember something happened in 2020, y'all remember that? I don't know if you remember what happened, a little thing. Um, but every year I just kind of say, all right, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to show us? And I was studying the book of Nehemiah and the word that came to my mind was rebuilding. That as I was watching reading through it, rebuilding. But I want you to understand what God's doing. It's not rebuilding back to what it was. It's rebuilding to what it was always supposed to be. And that's different because sometimes we get into something and we think this is how it's supposed to be. And so we lose it. And then we go, oh, man, well, let's get back to that. No, we don't need to go back to that because what if that was never what God promised to begin with? What if God expected more? So let's rebuild. Let's go back to what God always intended. And I was talking to a friend of mine, mentor of mine, and I said, you know what? I thought about kind of making that connection to 2020 and how a lot of us are rebuilding from after 2020. And I said, but I don't want to put people in a box. And he said, no, you should say that. He said, because even, what, two years later or three years later, people are still kind of in that rebuilding mode from 2020. And so, again, we're going we're gonna to look into the book of Nehemiah and start setting tone for this. So, so let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening in Nehemiah before we start reading. The children of Israel, God's people, had been... Um, exiled out of the promised land of God, the, the land that God promised them. They had been taken captive. And when we pick up in Nehemiah, they have been let loose. They have been set free, as you might say. Um, but only a percentage of them have actually traveled back to the promised land. And when they went there, 
uh, everything's destroyed. And so the first thing they did was they rebuilt the church. And then the next thing they did was they, and this is what Nehemiah is all about, is he's rebuilding the walls, which I'll talk way more specifically about next Sunday. Um, but, but I want to I focus on something that happens in chapter 1 to set the tone for this. But, but that's what's going on. So Nehemiah has asked his boss if he can go back. God has moved on his heart. He wants to rebuild the walls so that the people of God can move back to the promised land. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. So Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll start reading at verse 1 and go from there. In December of the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia. So this is just letting you know the time frame and the context when I was at the palace at Shuzan, one of my fellow Jews named Hanani came to visit me with some men who had arrived from Judah. And I took this opportunity to inquire about how things were going in Jerusalem. How are things going? The people have returned back to their promised land. How's that going? And then here's what he asked. How are they getting along? I asked the Jews who returned to Jerusalem from their exile here. How's that going? And I love this reply. They, it's really important that you see it separated. Their first reply is, well, <laughs> y'all ever done that? You know, like kind of hands on it. Well, like that was just how they started that response. How is it going? Well, things are not good. The wall of Jerusalem is still torn down and the gates are burned. And then Nehemiah hears that, and there's a response in his spirit. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and I cried. He says, in fact, I refused to eat for several days. Another version says he fasted. And then I spent the time in prayer to the God of heaven. I started off with two titles for this sermon. I would normally give you a title at this point. And before I show you the title I chose, some people need a title that's more educated. It, it has the ability to kind of summarize where we're going today from start to finish it. It kind of lets you know, okay, this is what Troy is going to be talking about, and this is what God's kind of directing us. And, and that title would have sounded like this, don't settle for less than what God's promised us. That, that was that title. But when I read, I, I read different versions in preparation. Normally when I'm reading to you scripture, it's the NIV version because that's the version of my personal Bible. But I'll read other versions just to kind of see it from different angles. And then when I read, read this version, there was a word that stuck out to me. And that word was this, well, <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the title I chose. You know, people who needed a little bit more real, you know, that, that well, according to statistics, 40% of people will set a New Year's resolution for 2023. And that's just the people who admitted it. The other, I think, 60% of people, they'll set one, but it won't be an actual resolution. But here's what they'll do. They'll look at 2022, and they'll find areas of 2022 that were less than what they wanted it to be, and they will set out in 2023 to experience that better, right? But what I love about that term, well, is for you and I, it's normally a transitional word right before we express something that was less than what we expected it to be. Let me, let me give you an example. Hey, how's your marriage going? Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, hey, how's your meal? Well, hey, how's that new job working out? Well, it's, it's always the word we say right before we're about to express that things aren't going as good as we expected them to go, Right? We're about to tell people that this is what I, I wanted, but I'm settling for less than what I wanted. And so I give you a, well, 
It's not great. It's a common story in Christian life that although God has called us to something wonderful, you and I often get discouraged along the way and then we settle for something mediocre. It's the common Christian story that even though God has promised us, watch this, a wonderful marriage, a, a wonderful career, a wonderful family, a wonderful financial life, even though God has promised us something wonderful, along the way we get discouraged. A lot of times it's because of how long it's taking to come into context, and we end up settling for something less than. For example, uh, I don't like my job, but it pays the bills, right? Like, that seems less than what God promised us. I'm not happy in this relationship, but at least I'm not alone. Like, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's less than. Like, we're settling for something less than what God promised us. And over time, it's very easy for us to water down what God's promised us, and watch this, and move the goalpost backwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, that's the goal. But the longer that we do this thing and the longer that God doesn't do it the way we thought he should do it and the longer it doesn't go as fast as we think we should go, what we do is instead of believing God for what he originally promised, we just keep making up excuses and moving that goalpost up and up and up and up going, well, maybe God didn't want that for me or maybe I'm not supposed to have a happy marriage or maybe I'm not supposed to be able to work in a dream job or maybe I'm not supposed to be at a place financially. Maybe I can just move that goalpost up until it's so close that it's an easy success. But in honesty, it's less than what God promised us. The enemy cannot stop God's plan for our life, but he will do all he can to make us settle for less. As I got into Nehemiah, I got ready to shoot after this concept of building the walls. Again, like I said, I'll address it next week because it's a very heavy part of the message and, and the chapter or, or the book. But I saw something in my study that I had never really paid attention to before. And I said, oh, we got to stop. We got to address this first. So as I told you, there's this exile of people. They are, they are taken captivity. They burn Jerusalem. They burn their home. And then 70 years or so later, they're, they're set free from that captivity. And they're allowed to go home. And listen to me. Only 2% returned back to where God promised them. Only 2% went back to the land that God had for them. Only 2% of people, out of 100% of God's people, only 2% of them actually moved forward and embraced what God had promised them. The summary I was reading said this, the other 98% settled where they were. Settled. They, they settled for less than what God promised us because let's be honest, they had a home. They weren't in captivity anymore. Like, like where they were, they had a home, they had family, they had a job. Like, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what God promised. For them, Babylon was okay, but it wasn't what God promised. What do we do when what we're experiencing is good, but it's not great? What, what do we do when where we are right now is all right, but it's not all that God has for us? This year, I want us as a church to expect God for all that he's promised and not allow culture or experience to tell us that we are only allowed access to a percentage of or that we should be okay with less than, but to be able to walk in a confidence that says, I am a child of God. And if my daddy said I can have it, I can have it. 
And I refuse to settle for less simply because people make me believe that I don't deserve it. That's what I'm coming after today. The temptation to compromise. The temptation to settle for less than something, less than all that God gives us. We will always face that. But when this temptation comes, we must stand strong and keep pursuing the fullness of what God's promised us. So here was the question I felt like I needed to attack today. Before we can go any forward, before we can start our 21 days of fasting and prayer, before we can move forward, here's the question I felt like we need to address. Why do we settle to begin with? Like, what's the reason? You know what I mean? Like, when, when, It's not like we set out and want less than what God has for us. It's just at some point in life, stuff happens and we settle for it. So, so what's the reasoning? I was talking to our, our staff uh, over the holidays, and I said, I'm, as I'm studying this, I see a couple of reasons why I think people have settled, why the 98% settled. Here was a couple of reasons I had. I, I, I think, number one, they lack faith, right? They, they lack the kind of faith that Nehemiah had that he could step out and do it. I said, another one is I think some of them were lazy because, let's be honest, rebuilding walls is hard work. And sometimes the reason we don't get all that God has for us is because we just don't want to work for it. You know what I mean? Like we, we don't want to get out of bed. You know, it's like God's available, but I'd really rather sleep, rather binge Netflix. You know, like certain things are happening. I get it. Another reason I thought is because there's opposition. All throughout the book of Nehemiah, he's fighting people. And sometimes, let's be honest, we just don't want to deal with stuff. And so there's all these different reasons as you study Nehemiah that you might be able to go, that's why they settled, that's why they settled. But the more I studied it, the more I said, there's something deeper. There's something at the foundation, watch this, that even produces that lack of faith. There's something in the foundation that even produces that hint of laziness. There's something in that foundation that produces this fear of opposition. Yes, those things are attributes, but they're not the reason. What's the reason that you and I often settle for less than what God's promised us? And I'm going to show you what I think the reason is. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 1 for a second. Watch this. Nehemiah says, how's it going over there? And they say to Nehemiah, those who survived, this is the NIV version now, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Now, this is what they're saying. Out of everybody, only 2% returned, Nehemiah. Only 2% actually are back. Okay, well, how are they doing? Well, to be honest with you, they are disgraced and they are miserable, but they're okay with it, right? Like, like they're back embracing the promise that God has for their life, but they're miserable. Most of us grew up in churches or, or religious environments that taught us that God doesn't care about our happiness, Right? When I first got saved, it was, this, this was probably in the uh, early 2000s, and, and this is still kind of common, I guess you might say, in our culture, but it was real heavy in the early 2000s. It was this understanding that like God or, or being a Christian following Jesus was all about what you can't do. Like, like that was the focus. Like the moment you even decided to believe in Jesus or give your heart to Jesus, there was like this immediate list of things you need to get. Like, like I remember I first got saved, I was a huge like, get rid of it. Do you know how much a CD costs? <laughs> so kids, listen to me. A CD is this, it's this disc. And I was like, there's no way. You know, and they're like, yeah, you need to throw them away. And I'm like, well, then what? And they're like, then you need to listen to Christian rap. 
Now listen, for all of you people who are new to Christianity and you're into Christian rap in 2023, you are a lucky human being. <laughs> because people, NF, Lecrae, all these, Tadashi, all these people have elevated Christian rap. When I was saved, the hottest Christian rapper was a guy by the name of KJ52. <laughs> he had a song about how he loved Mountain Dew. How do you go from the best lyrical artist I've ever known in Eminem to a guy who's singing about a soft drink? You know what I mean? Like, they were like, yeah, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's like, what is, I'm not going to be happy with this. Well, God doesn't care about your happiness. Okay, this is going to be fun. <laughs> really excited about this whole Christian thing, you know what I mean? God cares about you being holy. He doesn't care about you being happy. And before you grab your purses and decide to leave, hang tight. I understand what they were trying to say. But when it's miscommunicated and when it's not fully explained in context, watch this. It leads us to believe that we go to God for holy, but we go somewhere else for happy. That's the problem. We're coming to church. What are you doing? I need to go to God. Why? Because I'm a sinner and I need holiness. Okay? Then what? Well, I don't know. What do you do about happiness? Oh, I get happiness somewhere else. Because God cares about my holiness. He doesn't care about my happiness. And this is what's created tension in the concept of Christianity. Because we don't know how to be happy in the world and be holy with God. So there's this weird tension and pull where eventually we got to feel like we got to let go of one. And what, here's what happens. We let go of God and we're, we're happy for a certain amount of time, but we're really miserable because we're living outside the promise of God. Or we let go of happiness and we pursue holiness and, and we're following God and we're faithful to church and where attendance is good, but we're unhappy and miserable because we cannot keep it up. When I first got saved, the church I got saved in is the same church that I was on staff at for 15 years. Uh, and it's in Memphis, Tennessee. And I, so, so I first got saved. Brian invited me to youth group, and, and I got saved in youth group, and I was attending Wednesday nights. And Wednesday night youth groups, as y'all know, youth pastors, it's always a little unique. You know, it's always a little creative. It's always a little borderline unsaved. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like we're not really sure what we're doing here. But, but I would occasionally go to the Sunday service. And I went from a youth group where I could wear anything and look anyway, you know. But then I went to the Sunday service where you wore ties and suits and stuff. And I remember I walked in and they had these people. Uh, we, here we call them, I don't even, auditorium hosts is what we call them at Victory. I think it's because I have PTSD from my past because they were called ushers is what they were called. And they made me want to usher myself away from God. That's how they were. And so I would walk into the church and they were like the, the meanest looking people. You know what I mean? Just like Walter Matthau. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just, just like a bulldog. Just like they don't even want you to be there. They had, a, they had the RBF. <laughs> Hold on. It was a resting blessed face. You know what I mean? Just like, they were just mad. They had been saved for like 150 years. But they were just angry at life. Here I'm be bopping on in here. I done met Jesus and found out that it don't matter what I do. I'm saved in the name of God and I'm holy because he's holy and I'm so happy, right? And I'm walking through, you know, all this got my hat on backwards, got my saggy jeans and I just know that Jesus loves me. And I get to the door and this 150-year-old Christian opens the door and says, take off your hat. Okay. <laughs> I got shoes on. I got a shirt on. It should be no problem. I don't know. What are we doing here? You can't wear a hat. 
into the holy presence of God. Like, whoo, if that's true, then how is he ever going to meet me in my room? If I can't wear a hat in this auditorium, then what am I wearing at home? Because if I can be in the presence of God in my bedroom, and I can be in PJs and onesie, how can I not have a hat in this auditorium? I understood the point, but the communication was wrong. I remember this one particular usher. He hated hats. They were unbiblical to him. And, And one Sunday, we were doing this big Christmas outreach event. And they made all the ushers wear hats. <laughs> it was like these little Christmas hats, you know, that you put on. And I, I, I look, y'all, I'm saved, but I'm righteous and I'm ratchet. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm both. And so when I found that out, I was so happy. I was going to find him in the auditorium to just be like, how you like it? You know what I mean? How you, welcome to my world. And I got to him, and he was so happy. I had never seen a smile on his, I didn't even know he could smile. I did not know his mouth could go that direction. And I was like, why why is he so happy? And I realized, he always wanted to wear a hat. (laughs) The reason he was mad at me is because I was able to wear a hat. He always wanted to wear a hat. Do you Listen to me, this is where our religious culture gets it confused. Because they are teaching us that we can either live for God and be miserable or be happy and live in sin. When I first got saved, I thought that was the case. Not because my pastor taught it, because he didn't. He's a walking example to me of Christ. But it was the culture in the room. It was when I walked in looking like I normally look and got looks like, Maybe I shouldn't be in here. You know what I mean? It's when I met people who had been saved for so long, but they were just unhappy and angry. And I was starting to go, okay, I'm starting to think this is true. I'm starting to think that if I want to live for God, I've got to be okay being miserable about everything else. Or if I want to be happy, then I must have to walk away from God. People who don't know God will never want to know God if they assume that it's holiness or happiness. And what I have found out, especially recently, and what I want you to understand today, is that I serve a God that is allowing me to be both holy and happy. When we are misinformed about God's character, when we're misinformed about what God wants for us, mediocrity, and misery seem reasonable. Well, I guess it's the best it's going to get. Didn't God promise you more? Yeah, but, you know, I didn't read my Bible this week, so I guess, you know, it makes sense that I would suffer, you know. It makes sense that I'd get less than he got because he prays, and I'm not really sure how to pray. He knows where Nehemiah is in the Bible. Did you see it? He turned straight to it when Troy said it. We didn't even know. I had to look in the table of contents. I still don't know. I'm just turning the book, pretending like I know where I'm going. So it makes sense that his marriage would be good and mine wouldn't because he reads more scripture than me. It's reasonable for me to be miserable because I'm not perfect, right? It's reasonable that God wouldn't want me to be happy. It's reasonable that God doesn't want the best for me because I'm not a good child. Let me talk to all the parents for a second. All you that are, that are currently parents, soon-to-be parents, 
especially those that currently have kids, whether they're small or, or old and moved away. I think you will agree with this. You ready? Listen, and this is, this is what I believe is biblical truth, and you tell me if I'm right about this. You really, 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 really care if your children are happy. Am I right? You re- okay. In case you are, for whatever reason, not wanting to admit it, I'll prove it. Why else would you spend ridiculous amounts of money on stupid toys that only a matter of time you will throw them away when they're not looking? Testifying to what I've done over the past seven days. Because you want them to be happy. Do you know why you spent your Christmas money that somebody gifted you and you bought them a toy? Why? Because you want them to be happy. Why do you sit there and watch hours of horrible kids TV? You are, you have found all of Blue's Clues. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know if that's a show anymore. You, you have done, you've watched everything on Disney Plus. You've sat there and pretended like you cared. Every time you nodded off, you were like, and they said something, you were like, oh, yeah, yeah it's funny. It's great. It's funny. Why would you do that? Because you want them to be happy. There is something created in you that no matter how bad your children are, no matter how much you want to just lay hands on them in the name of the Lord, when it all comes to be, you want them to be happy. You jump over hoops to make them happy. Why? Because you love them. And you were designed by God as a parent to mimic and to be an example of how God the Father views us. So if we who have sin, who have sin in us and will sin, who are sinners, love our children and want them to be happy despite the fact that they drive us crazy, how much more does God want it? Now, hold on. Even though you want your kids to be happy, there are moments where you do something in a parenting concept that does not make them happy in the moment, right? There's a reason why you say, hey, you got to go to bed. It's 10 o'clock at night. You got to go to bed. Can I have ice cream? No, it's midnight. You can't have ice cream. Like there are moments and things that you do as a parent where for a moment they will not be happy. But watch this. At the very root of that decision is you wanting them to be happy. Everything in you is being driven by the fact that you want your kids to be happy. Even when God puts us in seasons where because of something he's doing as our parent is not making us happy in the moment, if we will trust God and dig in and hold on, we'll find out that at the foundation of what he did is his desire for us to be happy. God never, ever, ever in his word said, choose holiness or happiness. God said, if you will lean into me, you will experience both at the same time. Now listen to me, God doesn't want us to take pleasure in sin, but God is not anti-enjoyment. 
He, no, he, he has no desire for us to take pleasure in sin because when we take pleasure in sin, things die. The result of sin is death. So the more that we take pleasure in sin and let it run rampant in our lives, it's only going to produce death. So when sin runs rampant in our marriage, it eventually kills our marriage. When sin run rampant, run, runs rampant in our finances, in our family, in our, in our career, it eventually kills things. His desire is not for us to take pleasure in that. But at the same time, he is not some... Did you read the Bible today? <laughs> you snoozed your alarm, but you watched Netflix last night. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> it was like transforming into something as I, as I went. I'm not really sure. That's how much I love God. I don't know him that way. Don't see him angry. <laughs> am, am, am I telling the truth, though? Yeah, we all, you know, we all had that moment, or maybe we're still in that moment where, where that's who God was. Somebody had communicated God as this angry man. As, y'all ever seen the Sandlot? Remember the neighbor guy with the dog? And everybody had the stories about how horrible this man was, and nobody wanted to knock on his door, and everybody was scared of him. They finally knocked on his door, and it was James Earl Jones, <laughs> the voice of, of, like, Star Wars and stuff. I mean, like, what's happening here? That's what I, you know what? I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I thought maybe we'll get to heaven, and it'll be James Earl Jones. You know, you never know. <laughs> But that's the same concept of what's happened in religion is we've all been told that God is this mean, angry neighbor and that every time we aren't perfect, God's mad at us and he wants to punish us and that we need to choose holiness or happiness. And so I don't know about you, but there's something in me that desires happiness. So when I'm chose to choose holiness or happiness, I start to drift away from holiness and choose happiness. And I'm told that God is mad and angry and mean, but I find out that if I'll just go knock on that door and let him open the door, I'll find out he's actually very loving cares about me and wants the best for me, and that if I will really embrace all that he is, not only will I experience holiness through Jesus Christ, I will experience happiness. Happiness. I'll show you John chapter 15. Jesus is talking. Watch what Jesus says. He says, as the Father, God, has loved me, so I have loved you. So I've loved you like the Father loves me. I'm a conduit for the love of God. If you want to know how much, let me give you a little Bible teaching on the side. You ready? If you ever wonder, how does God love me? How much does God love me? Here's what Jesus is saying. Go and read about me, see what I do, and whatever I do is what the Father would do towards you. So when you read the gospel, start with John. When you read through it, if you're going to do a Bible reading during the 21 days of fasting, read the book of John. And every time you see Jesus do a characteristic, go, that's how God feels about me. Because that's what it was. This is important. Now, remain in my love. Remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. As you love me, you'll not... And this is where people go like, oh, okay, see? See what that says? I got to do the right thing, and therefore God will love me. No, here's what he's saying. If you remain in me and love me, you'll want to do those things. You know what I mean? I love my wife, so I want to be faithful to her. It's, it's, not, it's not I wake up every day going, are you kidding me? One wife? This is stupid. David had a lot. I can barely survive. That sounded. Worship team, let's pray, guys. Come on back up. Man, wherever you want to eat lunch, baby, I got you. Best vegan place in Nashville. Uh, all right, guys, sorry, I got to try to regain. Let's, Holy Spirit, please come back in here. Watch what he says. He says, 
Watch, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands, I remain in his love. Watch this. I've told you this so that my what? Joy. That sounds like happiness to me. May be in you and that your joy may be complete. So what I heard Jesus say is if you remain in me and you love me, it'll influence you to want to live by my commands. And as a result of that, you will be happy and your happiness will be complete. That's not what I was taught. I was taught I need to behave correctly. And because I'm behaved correctly, God will approve of me. And because God approves of me, I can't be happy. It's wrong. I love Jesus. Jesus moves in my heart. He changes me. I therefore want to be more like Christ. And as a result of that, the desires of my heart are made revealed. And therefore, I can be truly happy. Because sometimes what we think is going to make us happy isn't what's going to really make us happy. Some of y'all were dating somebody in high school and you thought that person was going to make you happy. And you see them on Facebook today and you're like, praise God. (laughs) Right? Because Jesus knew you might think it's going to make you happy, but it's not going to make you happy. It's important for us to understand that God knows what makes us happy. True heart desires. But also understand this, that as the father that God is, He will not sacrifice our long-term good for short-term happiness. That's the other miscommunication. Well, God didn't give me what I wanted. I'm not happy. Well, God is much wiser than us, and he knows ultimately what makes you happy, and so he has better for you, so he doesn't want to give you less than what he has for you, and so sometimes he has to take away short-term happiness for you to experience long-term good. He knows what our hearts truly desire. He plans to satisfy those desires with good things. I thought you need to be reminded of this scripture. He doesn't give stone for bread. He promised you bread. He's not giving you a stone. You can choose to take the stone instead because he's merciful. But when he tells, tells you he's going to give you bread, he's going to give you bread. There's a verse that talks about us as parents. If our child asks for bread, we wouldn't give them a stone. And there's evil in us. And there's no evil in God. So how much more, how much better, how much gooder, that's not even English, but it should be, <laughs> is God. When Darla and I got together, we started dating. Before we were dating, she was in another relationship um, with this guy. Jason was his name. And, right? I don't speak of him. The name that should not be spoken of. <laughs> Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> And they were dating, and, and she, she thought, they, you know, she thought they thought they were, might get married. It was, it was that serious of a relationship. And if you know my wife, and if you don't, you really need to get to know her because she's the only reason God blesses my life is because she's everything. I know I made a really bad joke a minute ago, but she literally is everything to me. Um, but one of the great, one of the best characteristics about her is she's goofy. Like, like, she's just fun to be around. She's silly. We were in Memphis for the holidays to see her parents, and we were getting ready to play a, a game with our kids, and we, Veda, my oldest, wanted us to dress up. She came out like this old woman. She did the whole nine, wigs, glasses, accent, like just goofy, fun. She's the most beautiful woman on the planet and the most silliest person in the world at the same time. It's crazy. And she gets in this relationship with this Jason guy, and, and he had never seen that side of her. You know, they were, they were obviously dating, they weren't married, so they weren't, you know, they, she, they were at school, different schools, different jobs, so he had never really seen that side of her. And one day they were all together, and she's the most goofiest with her dad. That, that's like them two get together, and it's, we all sit back and watch. It's, it's hilarious. And so they're all hanging out one day, and they get to wrestling, 
And if y'all remember this character on Matt, I think it was Matt TV called Stuart. You remember he's like, that? no, you know, he start kicking. No. So she starts doing that with her dad, you know, just being silly. And she says she looks up and sees his face and he is mortified. He, he cannot understand how his girlfriend is acting silly like that. And when she saw his face, there was a moment of revelation for her that went, hmm, this is who I am. This is what, she gets around her dad and she's happy. She's joyful. And, and if I'm with him, I won't be able to be myself. Listen, how come we think if we follow God, we can't be ourselves? I thought he made you. Why would he make you and then ask you to not be who he made you to be? It's a misunderstanding. It's a belief of something that is lower than who we are. And what happened is God took that moment for her, watch this, and she looked at her father and she realized that that would be less than what's best for me because what I want is made real to me by looking at my father. And when I compare it to my father and look where I am, I can go, this isn't the best for me. She told me after we got married, she said, I always wanted somebody who was like my dad, who could be goofy and serious and all these different things. And she said, she said, you are that. She looked at her father and said, until I get somebody like my father, I will not settle for less. That's a word for you. Because if you're wondering, am I, settle, am I settling for less? You need to ask yourself, have you looked to your father? Because he sets the, the, the tone. He, he sets the foundation of what you should expect, of what you should want. So if you're wondering, what do I got to do? I need to look to the Father. What did Jesus say? Remain in me. Because if you're in me, now you know. If you're in me, now you can go, this ain't what the Lord wants for me. If I'm in Jesus, I can go, that ain't good enough. I can keep going or I can say, that's what he wants. Because I'm in him. I know what he wants for me. God's wisdom knows what's best for you and me. God's love wants what's best for you and me, and God's power can accomplish what's best for you and me. Our happiness, I believe this, is a result of our proximity to God. True happiness is a result. The closer we are to him, the more our joy is available for us to embrace and stop settling for less. So, the first thing I wanted you to understand is that God has never once ever asked you to choose holy or happy. He wants to give you both. Whoever told you otherwise, they were wrong. So how do we fix it? Troy, I hear what you're saying, but I'm, I don't know that I've ever been more miserable than I am right now. How, how, do, how do we fix it? What's step one? Before we start praying over the next 21 days for all these different things and awesome things, what's the beginning? Here's what we got to start with. You ready? We have to start by rebuilding our view of God. Because at some point, somebody shaped it. I mentioned it, it was the people in the church that were shaping my view of God. It was the usher that was building this shape of what God, it wasn't even my pastor who was preaching. It was the person who met me at the door. Listen to me, First Impressions team. You think this is important? If they don't like you, they don't care what I got to say. If they don't walk in the door and experience the grace of Jesus Christ, they don't care what's being said on the stage. 
or at least it's not what's shaping. I believe that a way a person opens the door for you can impact you just as much as a sermon. So I didn't even put this in my notes, but I ask you, who, who built your view of God? Who built it? Well, you know, I went to church with my parents, or I, was, I grew up Catholic, or you know, whatever the situation was that built your view of God. It's time for us to rebuild it. Tear it down, rebuild it. For a lot of us, 2020 was the year of the teardown. Some people watching online right now don't even want to come back to church because it tore down this, this statue of God, if you want to say. We don't know how to rebuild it. Can, can I show you what Nehemiah does? Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. He, he, he gets ready to pray, right? And I want, to, I want to show you what he prays. It says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. And here's, here's what he prayed. Watch this. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive, your eyes be open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, or the laws that you gave your servant Moses. He goes on to say, remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying that if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, Anybody in here feel like you're at the furthest horizon? I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He ends the prayer by saying, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. I saw three things that Nehemiah prayed in this that I want you and I to pray through, to walk through, to rebuild the view of God. Number one is this. We have to have a revelation of who God is. There has to be a brand new revelation to the character of God. Did you see how Nehemiah started his prayer? To the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. If you were starting to pray to God, how would you describe him? To the mean, angry, Walter Matthau-like God who wants me, you know, like how, what's that relationship like? We got we to gotta start to rebuild that. We got to have a revelation of that. We got to go back to the word. We got to be reminded that he, we are righteous because he's righteous. We got to be reminded of his grace and his mercy. We kind of got to rebuild who we think he is to begin with. Because he is a God that both makes us holy and happy. He's not a God who's mad at us for every mistake we make, but he's a God who gives us grace and then the strength to not do it again. We need to reshape. It's the first thing. A revelation of who God is. Here's the second thing. We got to be real with who we are. Some of y'all, your problem's not going to be having a revelation of who God is because you've got enough influence in your life. You're educated enough on scripture that you know God loves you. You know the goodness of God. Here's where you struggle. You can't get over who you are. It's not that God's not great. You just can't imagine God loving you because of you. So here's what we start to do. We start to try to pretend we're not as bad as we are. Start looking at other people. <laughs> trying to use their bad to make us look better. You know, well, at least I'm not like them. <laughs> and the next step for all of us in rebuilding who God is, let's just be, can we just be honest for a second? Can we just be real and just say, I'm not perfect. I'm struggling with some stuff. 
Everybody in here is struggling with something. It's different things, but that's the whole point of us being together. When we were, we, we had an end-of-the-year party with our, our staff, and, and we're around in a circle, and I just felt moved to, 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 I wanted to pray for them specifically during these 21 days. So I asked, give me, give me this, the deepest, deepest prayer. And it was crazy to see all these different situations and, and heavy things that people are going through. And, and it's not because they don't love God. It's because life is hard. And when it was all said and done, I was like, you know what? The, 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 the common denominator of all these things is uncertainty. That's often the common denominator in why we are so hard on ourselves. Uncertainty. I know God says he loves me, but could he really love me with what I've done? Could he really love me when I say I'm not going to do it and I keep doing it? I had this thought, I was going to say it earlier, but I'm going to say it now. Prayer is less about a list and it's more about a lens when we start to pray, not only does it give us revelation of who God is, but it allows us to be honest about who we are. And there's something in that dynamic, in that exchange, where not only does it change how we view God, but it changes how we view ourselves. Now, again, listen to me. We are not completely without responsibility. I'm going to touch on some of that next week. But if you don't get this part right, if you don't get this part solid, it's like building a house on foundation that is not well built. It falls. You can't walk out with a plan to be able to orchestrate, to live better if you don't have a foundation that says God loves me regardless. I'm moved by his love. You know what I mean? When I mess up, the, 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 what keeps me standing is that I know he loves me. I fall off the, the, you know, I'm trying to think of an illustration of, of when you're on the back of a raft and on, on the water and you're, I forget what that's called, water skiing. And I want to stay on and I'm trying and I get better and I get better and I get better, but sometimes I fall off. And if I thought that every time I fall off that my father didn't want me anymore, not only would I be so overwhelmed by falling off, I'd just stop trying. But when I know it doesn't matter if I fall off, because if I fall off, he's right there going, good job, let's go, I'll help you back on. I get more excited about it. That's a church I want to pastor. People who are trying to live for God, but they say, you know what, as I'm trying, if something goes wrong, he's got me. Because he loves me. Revelation of who God is, be real about who you are, and then last, kind of the icing on the cake, we have to be reminded of what God's promised us. You got to be reminded. Nehemiah said, if you return to me, this is another thing that he said to Moses. God said to Moses, if you return to me, I'll gather them. I'll bring all the people back. Nehemiah was reminding God of his promises. I did a series a while back on the promises of God, and I said this, and I'm going to say it again. There is a promise in Scripture for every situation you're going through. For every part of your life, there is a promise in Scripture for that. Most of the time, we're not activating it because we don't know it. We don't know it. And so it's important for us in this season of life to remind ourselves of what God promised us. Well, I feel like God's left me. Well, it says he's the author of your life and that he will be with you until it is brought to completion. 
For every part of our life, God's given a promise. Watch this. The Bible teaches us that God's promises are upheld by God's oath. Hebrews 6, they're fulfilled on schedule, Galatians 4. They're centered in Christ, 2 Corinthians, confirmed in Christ, Romans 5. Obtained by peace, Hebrews 6. Kept by faith, Romans 4. And that they're great impressions, 2 Peter. You can leave that up, Paul, in case people want to. In case y'all don't know this, we have an app, and it has all of my sermon notes on it. Like, woo, revelation, oh my gosh, can't believe it. But sometimes you need to be able to see that and be reminded of that. I'm going to close with this, and then we're going to pray. I have a really good friend of mine. We, we've only known each other for a short amount of time now, but really good friend. And uh, on a weekly basis, we talk to each other and we share revelation of who God is to each other. And uh, it, It's such an iron sharpening iron thing. He's one of my friends I play pickleball with. Uh, be ready. Uh, 2024 is the year of the pickle. Um, that's that's going to be our, my word for 2024, pickleball. Terrible time for a joke. I'm sorry. Um, He's one of the guys I play pickleball with, and Darla came out to play pickleball with us one time, recently, and uh, and this friend of mine was on her team, and so we got done, and we and we leave, we get in the car, and Darla says, uh, "Man, I love," and then she says his name. She says he's he's so fun and happy and positive and just makes everybody feel good. She's just going on and on and on, and and I'm I'm shaking my head yes because I I agree with every bit of it. I'm like yes, 100. So a couple days later, I'm I'm with him, just me and him. And I tell him what Darla said. And, you know, he's like, oh, I, you know, so tell her thank you. And I said, but let me ask you a question. Were you always that way? You know what I mean? Like, was this always you? Like, are you just always positive and always happy? And he said, oh, no, no. His first experience to Christ was through Catholicism. Got out of Catholicism, got into a church that was, you know, preached less grace, more truth more legalistic living. He was talking about it and he was like, that was a different season. And then he had this revelation of who God is. And he really had a grasp and an understanding of grace. And I wish I could remember the exact time frame, but he said something like this. He's in this room, so I apologize if I get the dates wrong. He said, "The, the, the prior 20 years, don't even compare to the most recent 10 years. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, once I have a real revelation of who God is, living for God like that is so much better than living for God like that. In other words, and I can say this about him because I know him personally, he's living both holy and happy. I sat down to write this sermon, and for a second I thought, I better not preach this. Because there'll be somebody that'll have a difficulty trying to process this. And I don't mean this, please take this the best way you can take it. I stepped back for a second, I said, but wait a minute. I'm both. I'm pursuing God with all my heart. I know I'm holy because he is holy. And I'm happy. I love my life. Are things difficult? Yeah, we ain't even got bathrooms, guys. There's things that are hard. I get it. But we got a limousine porta potty. You know what I'm saying? Like, brother's happy. I'm happy. I just felt the Spirit of God tell me, you, you got them both? 
then go tell everybody in the room that it's available to them. That you can have them both. That you can pursue God with all of your heart and pursue holiness and be holy because he's holy and be righteous because he's righteous and you can be happy. I came to tell you something. Listen to me. Your marriage can be happy. Your relationship with your kids, it can be happy. Your career can be happy. All of these things are available to you. Okay, then what's the secret? The secret is, is to remain in him. Do me a favor, stand with me. I'm going to challenge every one of us over the next 21 days to this prayer and fasting that we're doing. As Brian mentioned, when y'all came in, there were the little, I got one in my pocket, show it to you, little cards that were on your seat. Not only, I'm going to talk about in a minute what it says, but there's a little QR code on the bottom that you can scan and it'll kind of give you the breakdown of what it means to, to do a fast. And maybe you're like, well, I don't even know what to fast. I, I, I do encourage you, fasting food is, in some context, is one of the most powerful things um, because when you find yourself being hungry and struggling, that's your opportunity to go lean in to God in prayer. If you don't have a schedule right now that allows you to pray and read your word, you can do it during the time you would eat lunch or eat dinner or eat breakfast. It kind of opens up a time frame. But there's ways. You can fast from sunup to sundown. You can fast. My, both my girls are fasting sugar. See how that goes? Dessert. It's dessert, not sugar. They made it very clear. There's some things they still want. I love them. But during this time, let, let's, let, don't just push it aside and not do it. Like, we're going to pray for some things. I'm explaining in a minute. But can we, here's what this is really about. Let, let's reshape that view of God over the next 21 days. I'm going to put scriptures on our social media every day for you to pray with in line with these things. But let's just reshape what you think is the final assessment of your marriage Let's rethink that. Let's rebuild it. What you think is the final assessment of you and your relationship with God, let's rebuild that. Let's rethink that. And let's start with a brand new revelation of who God is. Honesty about who you are. And then over the next 21 days, let's proclaim these promises of God. In the, in, towards the end of the year, we gathered, and if you remember this, those of you that were here, we wrote things on cards that we wanted for the year, and we, we gathered hands and prayed. I summarized all of those things into these 21 days. So when you see day one, it says myself, that was people who talked about their health, people that talked about, you know, things that were them personally. Then you got, you know, my home, my family, my marriage, my kids, my finances, all breaks down and all these different things. And like I said on social media, I'm going to give you a scriptural promise to be able to put with every one of them as you're praying it. But that's my, my, my charge to you is don't just walk out of here and be like, oh, yeah, you know, Troy's not eating again. Like, like let this be a serious moment to lean in. And the most focused thing being a new revelation of who God is. Amen? Worship team, I'm going to invite you up real quick. I, I want to pray over you as a church, and then I want to end it with just a moment of worship. Uh, normally, I would have some prayer team come down and open the floor for prayer. But, but this is a prayer that I want to pray over every person in this room. And it's a prayer about a new understanding of who God is. A revelation of how God sees you. Because I think these 21 days are different 
when you have a real understanding of who God is than if you're trying to do it off of a religious mindset. You know what I mean? And I don't know that sometimes you, I don't know the last time you prayed for yourself, so I thought I'd do it. To help you really understand that you can be both holy and happy. But you can have both. Do me a favor, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I don't even know honestly to where to even begin in a prayer like this, but I always will say that I can preach what you give me, but I don't change lives. I can say all these things and why it might be fun and entertaining. I can walk out of here and not one life change. But you, you don't even need a sermon. You don't need a building. You don't need a worship set. All you need is someone who's just willing to let go and to let you move in their life. And I'm praying right now over every person in this room because I know, and I know it because I've lived it. And sometimes I return back to it, this mindset of can I really be holy and happy? Can I be both? Some of us have even transitioned to a thought, it's more, I don't know if I'll ever be happy in general. Forget holy. Jesus, you said in John chapter 15 that if we'll remain in you, that by remaining in you, we'll experience your love. Your love will then move on our hearts in the way that we operate in life. And as a result of that, we'll find complete joy. So I pray right now of every person in this room that you'd start drawing in hearts reawakening passion. People in this room that at once were excited about a relationship with you, reignite it, Father. Recommitment, revelation of who you are. For every person that always saw you as a grouchy God, let them see you as a great Father. Do it however it is that you want to do it right now, right now, right now. Revelation, Father. Revelation. Tell them. Show them. Speak to them. To their certain situation. Let them know. You never left them. You never forsake them. You know they're going through it, but you're with them. You know what they're struggling with them, and you love them anyway. You're helping them. You're walking with them. Come on, Father. Let your Holy Spirit move in a great way. Help them to start to see right now. It starts right now that we can be holy and happy.